You know what I mean? Like, why am I here? What the fuck is going on? The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. The fourth turning in American prophecy, what the cycles of history tell us about America's next rendezvous with destiny. So far, I am extremely impressed with this book. Who is it by? It's by William Strauss and Neil Howe. Okay. And one of them died, and then one of them is actually writing another, a follow-up, because... I'm just going to tell you, I've only read 20 pages, so I've read the first chapter, which is like basically an introduction chapter. So chapter mm. two starts out with part one. It's a little confusing, but but there's no like preface or anything. So it just starts off like, boom, like with like just right off the bat, they get right into it. And I am, we could cut this out because we hate reading on the podcast, but I have to read you the first page <laughs> in the context of recognizing this book was written in 1997 or it was published in 1997. Leave it in. I know, exactly. So it was copyright 1997. So you know that it probably took him a while to write this, and this is the p- beginning. So let we can assume the latest that this theory is being formulated is in 97, which was, what is that, 20? 26 years ago. How many years ago? Like 20, yeah, like a, almost 30 years ago. So, and it's also interesting that I'm watching Game of Thrones, going through that whole series kind of like quickly just since like they're all released on Netflix or who or uh, what is it on HBO Max mm. and you know have you you've seen no Game no. of Thrones oh you, oh, you haven't I have <laughs> I haven't oh oh okay because everybody has except for me I thought so the, there's this phrase they say throughout the whole entire series which is winter is coming right winter right. is okay. coming even I know winter that. is coming yeah so it's like constantly winter is coming so the chapter one winter comes again and throughout the whole chapter he's like winter is coming and so i'm like is there some kind of link between these game of thrones is the fourth turning or like did did they read about it because if you think about it what he's saying and then you think about game of thrones it's like it seems like whoever wrote game of thrones knew this theory mm, like maybe they i'm were not claiming that that's true i don't know we maybe don't know. Okay. something mm. because I've only so in the first chapter you get like two major themes. One is like here's what we're going to do in this book, we're going to turn history into prophecy. And then we're going to explain why this is novel kind of and I'm kind of using my own summary here and that the reason it's kind of novel is because there's we have to have a new theory of time which is very interesting. So, I'll read you the first page cuz or it's like the first little subsection and you'll be like well i'll give you let you have your fresh take but my take on it was how was this written 30 years ago Mm. like how is this not and this is the other feeling i had while reading this book i get so jealous when i read good writing and it's not often that it hits me but this is an example of one that did this to me where i'm just like how do people write like this like how do you it's like divine inspiration I felt very similar about Jacques and Lul's work, the technological society. Mm. It was also like, damn, 
Like how, how did he get these ideas in his brain and then formulate them into ideas that he could put into words that like speak to your soul. And you're like, this is true. Like, I know this is true somehow. And it's said so poetically anyways. So let me read you this first little Mm -hmm. chunk. And just remember 30 years ago, this is written and he's about to tell us what's coming. 26 years ago. Sorry. Yeah. 26 years ago. At least. (laughs) America feels like it's unraveling. Though we live in an era of relative peace and comfort, we have settled into a mood of pessimism about the long-term future, fearful that our superpower nation is somehow rotting from within. Neither an epic victory over communism nor an extended upswing of the business cycle can buoy our public spirit. The Cold War and New Deal struggles are plainly over, but we are of no mind to bask in their successes. The America of today feels worse in its fundamentals than the one many of us remember from youth a society presided over by those of supposedly lesser consciousness. Wherever we look, from L.A. to D.C., from Oklahoma City to Sun City, we see paths to a foreboding future. We yearn for civic character, but satisfy ourselves with symbolic gestures and celebrity circuses. We perceive no greatness in our leaders, a new meanness in ourselves, a small wonder that each new election brings a new jolt, its aftermath a new disappointment. Not long ago, America was more than the sum of its parts. Now it is less. Around World War II, we were proud as people, but modest as individuals. Fewer than two people in ten said yes when asked, are you a very important person? Today, more than six in ten say yes. Where we once thought ourselves collectively strong, we now regard ourselves as individually entitled. Yet even while we exalt our own personal growth, we realize that millions of self-actualized persons don't add up to an actualized society. Popular trusts in virtually every American institution, from business and governments to churches and newspapers, keeps falling to new lows. Public debts soar, the middle class shrinks, welfare dependencies deepen, and cultural arguments worsen by the year. We now have the highest incarceration rate and the lowest eligible voter participation rate of any major democracy. Statistics inform us that many adverse trends, crime, divorce, abortion, scholastic aptitudes, may have bottomed out, but we're not reassured. Optimism still attaches to self, but no longer to family or community. Most Americans express more hope for their own prospects than than for their children's or the nation's. Parents widely fear that the American dream, which was there solidly for their parents, and still there barely for them, will not be there for their kids. Young householders are reaching their mid-thirties, never having known a time when America seemed to be on the right track. Middle-aged people look at their thin savings accounts and slim-to-none pensions, scoff at an illusory Social Security trust fund, and try not to dwell on what burden their old age could become. Seniors separate into their own leisure world, recoiling at the lost virtue of youth while trying not to think about the future. We perceive our civic challenge as some vast, insoluble rubrics cube. Behind every problem lies another problem that must be solved first, and behind that lies yet another, and another, at infinitum. To fix crime, we have to fix the family, but before we do that, we have to fix welfare, and that means fixing our budget, and that means fixing our civic spirit, but we can't do that without fixing moral standards, and that means fixing schools and churches, and that means fixing the inner cities, and that's impossible unless we fix crime. 
There's no fulcrum on which to rest a policy lever. People of all ages sense that something huge will have to sweep across America before the gloom can be lifted. But that's an awareness we suppress. As a nation, we're in deep denial. While we grope for answers, we wonder if analysis may be crowding out our intuition. Like the anxious patient who takes 17 kinds of medicine while poring over his CAT scan, we find it hard to stop and ask, what's the underlying malady really about? How can we best bring the primal forces of nature to our assistance? Isn't there a choice lying somewhere between total control and total despair? Deep down beneath the tangle of trend lines, we suspect that our history or biology or very humanity must have something simple and important to say to us, but we don't know what it is. If we once did know, we have since forgotten. Wherever we're headed, America is evolving in ways most of us don't like or understand. Individually focused, yet collectively adrift, we wonder if we are heading towards a waterfall. Are we? This is an audiobook brought to you by Social Psycho. Thank you. Wow, so, that was uh, very interesting. And yeah, it does feel like it was could have been written today. Literally. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so what does he say? Do you have you is there any more that he says really about that? Because to me, it just sounds sort of like a summary of the situation. Yeah. So it, that's what the beginning is. So that's where that's why I thought it was interesting, especially as like a, a preface, because it's like 30 years ago ish. Here's this the landscape. And it's like this has only gotten more intense. And so the whole theory hinges on. So the next section is it's all happened before. I'll read the next like a little bit because it tells you like these four bullet points of how this this whole theory works. And it's really interesting because it's broken into seculums, something called a seculum and something called a turning. A seculum? Like, is that like a cycle seculum? Like a derivative? It's a seculum. S-A-E, I think. Seculum. Oh. Um, but it's related to siècle, which is like the French word for like a an age or an era. So it's kind of like that. Oh, and he, okay. he goes into where he gets that measurement from, which is essentially a human life. So it's like mm. 80 to a hundred years is a saculum. And then each turning is kind of like a generation. So every saculum contains four turnings and the turnings are kind of like a 10 to 20 year thing, almost like a generation. So a new like generation can be born into each turning so like gen x gen z boomers millennials and then each of the generations born in each one of those actually gets an archetype Mm, and one of four different archetypes so kind of like i could tell you the generations are like 20 years because that's when people begin to have kids at like their 20s so that's birthing of it yeah it's a little bit of a rough estimate but it comes from the what's that people ancient people called like the it's a word that's hard to say in the singular and just as hard to say in the plural. And I need to actually put my eyes upon it to actually tell you what it is. But they had, whoever that group of people was, they had this idea of like, so the founding of a country, the founding of a city, and then you have like the first people born on that day. And then you have the oldest person to die from that day. And that that equals one of these cycles that they understood history through. That's how these people kind of formulated their concept of passing of time. So that person who would be like 107, like the oldest person, they would have 
an actual living memory of the history of the events that have occurred. And then really once that cycle's done, they kind of start formulating new, like a new mythology almost, like a new history, a new memory from that point forward. Hmm. And it was interesting because they kind of understood that and then kind of had this prophecy about their demise. And it, it was surprisingly accurate that like, yeah, it was like going to be 10 to 12 cycles and then they would all disappear and then Rome conquered them. So it's interesting how accurate they were. Hmm. And he talks about, well, I won't get into too much. So here's the th- here's the thing. So the reward of the historian is to locate patterns that reoccur over time and to discover the natural rhythms of social experience. In fact, at the core of modern history lies the remarkable pattern. Over the past five centuries, Anglo-American society has entered a new era, a new turning, every two decades or so. At the start of each turning, people change how they feel about themselves, the culture, the nation, and the future. Turnings come in cycles of four. Each cycle spans the length of a long human life, roughly 80 to 100 years, a unit of time that the ancients called a saculum. Together, the four turnings of the saculum comprise history's seasonal rhythm of growth, maturation, entropy, and destruction. The first turning is a high, an upbeat era of strengthening institutions and weakening individualism when a new civic order implants in the old value regime decays. The second turning is an awakening, a passionate era of spiritual upheaval when the civic order comes under attack from new value regime. The third turning is an unraveling, a downcast era of strengthening individualism and weakening institutions where the old civic order decays and the new values regime implants. The fourth turning is a crisis, a decisive era of secular upheaval where the value regime propels the replacement of the old civic order with a new one. And so we are in, when this was written at least, the third turning in mm. the fourth turning is what's like the impending That's thing what's coming, coming. Mm. currently. Yeah. So if you were born as a millennial, what are you, what do you think you are? I think are you I'm a millennial? one of the older Gen Z people. Okay. Okay. So it's if everything's correct, timeline wise, like I think there's room for error. So he says like every two decades or so, so it can be like 10 to 30 years, probably, I guess you might think. Hmm. Um. So you, I probably would have been born strongly within the third turning, and you were probably born somewhere near the end of the third turning or the beginning of the fourth turning. Hmm. Interesting. Perhaps. Okay. So, so each one of these cycles, he says, comes with its own like mood, basically, and it's he says it's always the mood that catches people by surprise. So it's like we're always wrong about what we think is coming, basically. Mm. And a big part of that apparently has to do with our understanding of time. So in America and most Western or like industrialized societies, we have this idea of linear time, which these guys say is not correct. And that when you have a linear time, things in a sense, they like don't make as much sense. Mm. That was a strange double use of that word but so basically if there's a cycle to things and you think of things as linear then history kind of doesn't matter because it's always like a progress a pro- like progressivism basically is like very linear mm. like things will just keep going and going and going and going and they change in history and he even talks about how like we don't learn history anymore children born these days this is 30 years ago can't recall like important dates important people things like that they don't know them and that they've all been blended into something 
similar to a social, quote-unquote, social studies, which is literally what we were taught in school as history. It was called social studies. It wasn't history. Hmm. We didn't have history in elementary and stuff. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. social studies. Interesting. And when you're a kid, you're like, is this history or is this like politics or is this, what is social studies? It's like art. It's all the stuff like blended together hmm. because it's not really that important. Just kind of know that that stuff happened and it, like, no use really remembering it because we're on a path up or forward, straight away going some direction linearly. Always different maybe. Yeah. Well, what do they say too though? It's like, I guess sort of in line with the book it's like history doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes um i think that sounds more like what these people are saying is that yeah things come back around yeah so i could give you his examples of turnings because they're very they seem very true okay because you have like if you if you like start counting back like every so often you hit like world war ii great depression world war one civil war revolutionary war you know, there's so so on and so forth, just on and on and on, and they seems to follow this ex- this almost exact number of year cycle, like eighty to hundred years. Every eighty to hundred years, something like this is going to happen. So every mm-hmm. saculum, basically. So in the current saculum, the first turning was the American high of the Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy presidencies. As World War II wound down, no one predicted that America would soon become so confident and institutionally muscular, yet so conformist and spiritually complacent. But that's what happened. The second turning was the consciousness revolution stretching from the campus revolts of the mid-60s to the tax revolts of the 80s. Before Kennedy was assassinated, no one predicted that America was about to enter an era of personal liberation and cross-cultural divide that would separate anything thought or said after from anything thought or said before. But that's what happened. The third turning which would be the current turning when this was written Mm -hmm. and still perhaps today, the third turning has been the culture wars, an era that began with Reagan's mid eighties morning in America and is due to expire on the middle of the OO decade, eight or 10 years from now, amid the glitz of the early Reagan years, no one predicted that the nation was entering into an era of national drift and institutional decay, but that's where we are. So basically, he's like, has this happened before? Of course it has. Interesting. Many times. So what's, uh, yeah, what's on the future for us? What's going into the fourth turning look like? Well, that's the new book that one of these guys, the living guy, is writing. It's called The Fourth Turning Is Here, I think, or something like that. It's not released yet, but mm. I got to get through this and then buy that. But something, since the fourth turning is a crisis, some kind of crisis mm. is supposedly going to be taking place. Mm. And the crisis can be, it could kind of be good or bad in a way, but it's always tumultuous. Sure. Like it's always diffi- very yeah. difficult. No, that makes sense to me. I mean, I think that's what I sense is that there's a renewal that needs to happen. I think we mentioned this on another podcast where we said something like the only two ways forward are to decomplexify our society or to renew it, like have a rebirth of our society. Um, because we were saying at that at the time in that conversation that things like political gridlock had gotten to a head where things were very difficult to do and our society was so complicated that is so complicated that hardly anyone can even understand all of the laws and regulations that we have. I think that that's what people sense we need. I mean, I to me, that's what Figures like Jordan Peterson, why he's emerged and why he has such a following is because 
he represents like a renewal of something because what is it? he's like he's not new in a sense like he's calling back to traditional values like a lot of religious conservative values and so in some sense to me it's like a when was he born i wonder so let me tell you these oh interesting so here's the archetypes of people that are born in these times it's very interesting so we must link each of today's generation with a recurring sequence of four generational archetypes that have appeared throughout all of the secula of our history. The four archetypes are best identified by the turnings of their births. So you have the first, second, third, and fourth turning, which is a high, an awakening, an unraveling, and a crisis. A prophet generation is born during a high. A nomad generation is born during an awakening. A hero generation is born during an unraveling. And an artist generation is born during a crisis. Mm. And then, of course, the artist gives way again to a prophet generation. And then it just keeps going in this cycle. And as you read it, it's like he's trying to decouple you from... It's really like he's trying to decouple you from not understanding this. Because you find yourself described in the book. You're like, oh, I am thinking like this. Like, I have had utterly individualistic notions the culture war is fully upon us. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, all of these things truly are happening and you think something's coming. And because you have this linear thought pattern, which is very similar to like some like major religions, like that there's a, a savior comes and, and like completes it, you know, like, and now you're going, like you have salvation, something's coming, like a utopia or a dystopia, something we always have this notion that something is coming because we've always been in this linear like thought pattern. It all culminates to something or whatever. There's some end. Yes, it's all coming to something. When I die, I'm either going to heaven or I go to hell. You know, like I'm mm. on this trajectory going somewhere. Mm. But he is like, naturally, no. Yes and no. It's a cycle. And I think there's like a little bit of a conundrum currently, which is that if you have that thought currently, you're sort of right right now. Because the cri- cause winter is coming, because the crisis is at foot. You're like accidentally correct almost if you have that way of thinking, but only for this moment. But because you think linearly, you don't recognize that it's like a, almost like a reset. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it reminds me of something Young said in that work of his that I was reading. I Ding, ding, ding. Um, but <laughs> the archetypes, that's a word pioneered by Young. Like Young invented that word. Um, and it just means primordial form. So it's interesting that this person is using that to describe what's going on because Jung was convinced that people were kind of possessed by spirits or ideas and that they acted in typical, prototypical ways that like when you look at personality and how we can think about personality as being like, oh, people share similar personality traits. He was like, well, isn't that curious that we can think about individuals in like a a pantheon of like collective yeah. sense yeah <laughs> like oh there's just these types of people and he was like what are the types though and so he was like the types are like these primordial like that's what arche means like archetype like pre-existent form um and so he's like there's these pre-existent forms which exist before the individual that the individual embodies um now, that aside, he did say something that was really interesting that I was thinking of, which is he said something like everything old in consciousness 
is soon coming. And I thought that was interesting because if you take what you're saying, like, that's like a direct interpretation of it. Like, when the old elders of the generation die, like, when the society, the collective, you know, group of people that are alive right now don't remember something hardly, like, it's the people who would have remembered something happening, like World War One, for example, are all dying right now. And many of them have died. That's like something old in our con- or our yeah our consciousness, and it's almost like he was saying that like that is coming soon. Like everything old in consciousness comes back around, and I th- I think it's very relevant to me because that's kind of what I see. It's like I see how we're making a lot of mistakes that will lead us into bad situations or just situations. Period. Because we don't remember what it was like the last time this happened when people who were alive exactly. made the exact same mistakes and they would have been around to tell us, but now they're not. Exactly. There's this little anecdote in here about these French, this weird, illiterate French village that whenever anything of any importance would happen in the village, the seniors would box the ears of the children so that they would remember the thing that happened on this day. Box the ears of the children? Like literally like, punch them in the head oh box their ears like bam you know so like like smash your fists against their ears which hurts so that you would always remember this day Mm, mm. this important day this thing that occurred whether it was like a political thing or social thing or whatever a battle that was won and they did that whenever there was a important social event or whatever or some kind of event Mm. yeah so it's like subconsciously like this was a more perhaps natural there was three versions of time Mm. throughout history the first is the chaotic time like kind of prehistoric understanding where nothing makes sense we don't understand the cycles Mm. it's just very chaotic and random sure and harsh then there was the the cycle based time which everything is like the moon cycles, the sun cycles, orbiting your heartbeat, everything. It's like really, truly a cycle of some kind. And then we've transitioned now to this linear time and even perhaps a mix of linear chaotic where we're going somewhere, but now we recognize that nothing makes nothing of the past matters. It's all going somewhere. And we can't look to that to understand Mm. because we're in a new time, a new era yeah, yeah. This you is know. my complaint. I think I've made this in another episode. But yeah, because we've talked about, you know, we're disconnected from our elders. And that's kind of what I sense is that we have that understanding, partly because we don't have a lot of intergenerational contact in our at least Western society. Like families don't live together. I think actually I had a very rare experience where I did live with my parents and my grandmother growing up. And that was very rare. And I do notice, I have thought about this a lot, that it's given me a different perception of things and a different way of thinking about family than I think people who don't have that, which I would say is most people that I knew growing up did not live with like their grandparents, for example. Um, But, you know, there were... And our grandmother was a a boomer, Right. right? Or no, she would have been, was she a boomer or was she a silent... I think she was on the edge or whatever of those two because she wasn't quite that old. I think she was in like her 60s when I was younger. Yeah, when she died, she was like early 70s. And that was just recently. Yeah, but one thing, for example, I noticed was like 
there's a reversion. To me, I do interpret things very cyclically. Like, I don't think we're heading toward a final end destination. I do think of time kind of cyclically because partly Which that maybe experience. maybe because you're an art, part of the artist generation. It may be that, too. But partly, yeah, I grew up around my grandma, and I noticed there's like a reversion back to childhood. Like, she needed a lot of care, and she was very much like a child. Like, in the sense, like, her mental faculties declined and whatnot. And so... It just there's no perception that I had that like oh it's all progressing towards something like you're gonna only increase in sophistication and capability throughout your life which I think maybe you can have some naive perception that that's true until you encounter old people and you live with them and then you're like oh no there's actually some there's some midday in your life where at some point the sun will start to go down and you will start to recede into yourself and age and become more frail and less mentally capable and whatnot. Um, but yeah, there's also, yeah, I did think what you were saying was interesting too about the, just the generations, the time, the culture in which you're born shaping the archetypes that you have um, or that you embody because, I mean, it's like a meme almost, like the people, like the millennial age, like the people of the 90s being like a lost generation, like the nomads, like you were saying, kind of, I think. Um, the nomad would be what is born born during the awakening. So the hero is born during the unraveling, which would be in the 90s, 80s, 90s. Okay, so the, those would have been 2000s. babies at that time. Okay, so the people, though, in the 90s. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's hard to conceptualize a little bit because you're talking about who's being born and there's no real effect of them until the next right, generation right. is when they're mature. So now the millennial generation is coming into maturity and they are the hero generation mm. versus the previous generation, which was the nomad generation, like our parents, which makes a lot of sense. If you think about just like, the music of the nineties, that's lives. what I was thinking. And... Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of like their life, like they're very nomadic, very individual. Like mom wasn't from here. Robert wasn't from here. My dad wasn't from here. My stepmother wasn't from here. Like, no, but everyone's just kind of wandering. They all did these, like, different individual things, kind of trying to make their their own way and kind of doing that. But, like, it's panning out okay for them, but not – it seems clear that for their generation of children, it doesn't seem like it's, it's not going to pan better. out. Like, yeah. we're very worried. Yeah. Because we are born in the unraveling. So the nomads will live through the unraveling and have lived through the unraveling I was born during the unraveling and will live through the crisis. Right. And during the crisis, currently, basically, the artist generation will be born. That's so interesting. I'll be an old man by the time that the artist generation is coming around. So it says, speaking of mistakes, which you mentioned, and what about today? Forecasters are still making the same mistakes. Best-selling books envision a post-millennial America of unrelenting individualism, social fragmentation, and weakening government a nation becoming ever more diverse and decentralized, its citizens inhabiting a high-tech world of tightening global ties and loosening personal ones, its websites multiplying and its culture splintering. We hear much talk about how elder life will improve and child life deteriorate. However, the rich, uh, how the rich will get rich, richer and the poor poorer, and how today's kids will come of age with a huge youth crime wave. Don't bet on it. The rhythms of history suggest that none of those trends will last more than a few years into the new century. 
what will come afterwards can be glimpsed by studying earlier unraveling eras with similar generational constellations and by inquiring into what happened next. And then that's where he goes into your archetypes. Mm. It says each archetype is an expression of one of the enduring temperaments and life cycle myths of mankind. When history overlays these archetypes atop the four turnings, the result is four very different generational constellations. This explains why a new turning occurs every 20 years or so, and why history rolls to so many related pendular rhythms. One turning will underprotect children, for example, while another will overprotect them. The same is true with attitudes towards politics, affluence, war, religion, family, gender roles, pluralism, and a host of other trends. Dating back to the stirrings of the Renaissance, Anglo-American hi- history has traversed six, six secular, secular cycles, each of which displayed similar rhythm. Every cycle had four turnings, except for the anomalous U.S. Civil War. Every cycle produced four generational archetypes. We are presently in the third turning of the millennial saculum, the seventh cycle of the modern era. By looking at history through this secular prism, you can see why the American mood has evolved as it, as it has during your own lifetime. Reflect back as far as you can and recall how the persona of people in any phase of life has changed completely every two decades or so. Every time these changes have followed the archetypal pattern. Consider the generational transition of the past decade, which are once again proving, uh, proving the linear forecasters wrong. And then he talks about the silent generation, and then the boomers, and then the thir- they call it the 13ers, which would be the Gen X, mm. which is the 13th generation to call themselves American. Mm. And then the millennials. So it says the millennials have surged into America's elementary and junior high schools. Family behavior has reverted towards greater protection. Why? We are now raising the child hero, no longer the child nomad. When you compile these four archetypal shifts through the entire life cycle, you see how America's circa 1970s constellation has transformed into something new from top to bottom in the 1990s. That is why the nation has shifted from a mood of awakening to one of unraveling. Anyways. Hmm. So I haven't got too much further than that, but he's basically saying we have to unlearn basically these linear thought patterns, like the obsessive uh, fear of death or the Mm. anxious quest for death avoidance. Uh, that pervades linear thinking in nearly every modern society. The ancients knew without periodic decay and death, nature cannot complete its full round of biological social changes. Right, right. Oh, that's so interesting too, because I mean, it's so, we're so enraptured by it, it seems like in the culture about like living forever and, you know, infinite progress and like how technology, I mean, I've seen so many things that are like, technology is going to help us live forever and whatever, and medical advancements are just going to get better and better, and we're just going to keep living on and on, and that's why it's going to be so costly to maintain these older people. And you can have... You can have people who think that's going to be utopic or dystopic, but everyone kind of thinks it is coming, whatever it is, you know. So you might think, oh, it's coming, that technological hellscape or that technological utopia. But in reality... Change will happen. That yeah. Something is coming. Winter is coming. Yeah. But out of after the winter comes something totally new and it's only going it's likely to only only be at some 30 year turning. Yeah. And that I wrote down that I think obviously it hadn't happened yet, but I have a note in here 
where I wrote uh, 9-11, which was 2001, so a couple of years after this was written. Um, it says, history is seasonal and winter is coming. Like nature's winter, the secular winter can come early or late. A fourth turning can be long and difficult, brief but severe, or perhaps mild. But like winter, it cannot be averted. It must come in its turn. Here, in summary, is what the rhythms of modern, hist modern history warn about America's future. The fourth turning is due to begin shortly after the new millennium, midway through the OO decade, around the year 2005. A sudden spark will catalyze a crisis mood. 9-11. Mm. Mm. That was probably the modern catalyst, is my prediction. Interesting. Yeah, we'll have to see what he wrote in the book. But yeah, no, that's that's super interesting because that's what I sense. I think something is is coming. And I Winter's coming. Yeah, I You know nothing, Jon Snow. I think to me that sense is the same as the sense of death. Like you have to make peace with your death, that your life is finite instead of having some anxious approach toward death, like being afraid that it's coming to an end or coming to a head. And I think that coming to peace with that looks more like moving gracefully through your life. I think that an anxious approach with death leads to the Peter Pan syndrome, perhaps, or where you want to stay a child forever, or you live a life of hedonism uh, where you're always satisfying the wants and you don't live a life of maturity. And so I think, yeah, that's, to me, that's what I sense. I mean, I've had this sense recently that like something is coming, like conflict is brewing. And I think people are afraid of the conflict. Like I see the culture kind of tearing apart. There seems to be separate factions sort of like, coming into greater and greater conflict with one another and each side sort of trying to stamp out the other's ideas or suppress them by decree. And to me, I'm like, I guess I kind of accept the conflict because I think you have to get through the conflict to get to the next thing. Like the longer we remain in the conflict, the worse off we all are. And I guess that's to me like why... I feel like free speech and debate are the easy way through it. Like, that's conflict to some extent, but we can get through that. Like, the worst version of conflict is, like, suppression or whatever. Like, that's how you end up in war and whatnot, when some people are silenced or put off into society and then you propel those people into, you know, revolting or whatever against the other group of people. And, and that can be very dangerous. and yeah, tumultuous, like he was saying. But I don't think you can avoid it either way. Like, whatever happens, like, there has to be a reckoning. Like, we all have to come to some sort of shared understanding or shared agreement, at least. We may not have to agree, you know, all be a part of the same tribe or whatever, but we have to have some way of, like, moving forward together. Like, maybe that means that some people form a different country or a different group or whatever. Well, generations die off, too. So the millennial generation, whether they're the heroes or not, we don't know exactly what that means to be part of the hero generation, but we do know that they'll be dead one day and that the cycle will go on and there will be another hero generation eventually that comes forward. There'll be another nomadic, there'll be another whatever, you know, mm -hmm. all of these things will come again 
in their time. It's interesting. I don't know. I still don't like, so I'll admit that the book is fascinating. Some of the stuff I'm not sure of, I'm going to eventually formulate my own kind of side theory on it because I think a lot of the things that are pointed to, like it's interesting to see basically a prediction of 9-11 or some crisis thing, some, some event to occur to kick it all off. And then to also be of my mindset who goes, but 9-11 was contrived. The wars that ensued invading countries that had nothing to do with it, all of that was contrived. Does that, I don't know if according to the theory, if that matters or if that's because of the archetypes of the types of people that are there, do those, do the archetypal generations at every strata of society, whether elite or mm. bottom, bottom scrapers, do they have the same information? Yeah. Do they know of the cycles? Are they following the cycles in a different way? You know, like, so I can be informed by it by reading this, but George Bush and Dick Cheney may, may know exactly about this and contrived crises on purpose because they, they know that the, the blueprint in a way you know what i mean like it's time to do this i mean we've literally klaus schwab out there going we need a great reset you know it's like how do you know sure you know well what what do you mean yeah i think to me is he ignorant or is he is he aware or is he a product of his generational archetype no i think it's the latter i think it's yeah people are products of their archetype because yeah to your point earlier it's like even if you do know, you may be able to have some conscious influence, but even then it's still you just acting out the archetype. Because say you do become aware of it, it's like, what do you do with that information is partly based on who you are and the kind of ideas you embody, your personality, the archetypes that you fit into. And so, yeah, I could see how, regardless of how you know much you know or don't know, you still enact the archetype. But then the other problem is that you said earlier, is like people die. So even if they were manipulating it, you can only have control for so long. You know, like you only come to be right. able to be in power, like what, in your 30s? Like, Which is kind of what this guy is saying. He's like, the one generation will push out the other and the next regime will come in. So you'll have like... Right, right. The artist regime will one day be in charge. I'm actually terrified of the time where the artist generation rules. Because if the artist, if this is, if things is accurate and what we're seeing now, those who are younger than me are actually part of an artist generation, the art is trash. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh God, oh, like we've God. got like gargoyles and stuff because all this like gender expression and race ideology and all this shit, it's not academic. And they think they're like, I'm in a system that says this is academic, but I'm part of an archetype that's actually an art artistic so you know what I mean? Like they're, so they're doing academia in this like abstract bullshitty way because that's their archetype. So they can't almost like they can't help it. Well, I think, and yeah, the artist is like the blue haired crazy person screaming and gluing themselves to walls to protest oil or, you know what I mean? Just like all this weird, that's what I'm seeing as the artist well, archetype that's emerging. May I guess I don't, view it like personally like in appropriate with seeing it as an archetype like artists convey the nature of their time you know that's what the art is it like conveys what's going on like when I think about art I think about like Picasso's Guernica which 
depicts, I think, the horrors of world, one of the world wars, one or two, I can't remember. But to say, I think the way you are evaluating it to me, it's like, it's not that art is like, you could rank order all art and like there's some just best art. Like I think in each period, artists are better and worse at capturing what's going on in that time. And so I think you see art from like that period and like, why is Picasso's art so good? And it's like, well, it was a weird art style. Like it's not to say that like that cubism is like the best art style, but it was like something about it really deeply expressed the nature of that time, I think. Yeah, maybe. Oh, my camera fell. It's multi, I'll get that, faceted because he also, as opposed to Jackson Pollock, who just splashed paint on canvases and said art. Well, I don't think that that's Picasso, good art, but yes. No, it's bad <laughs> art. Uh, but Picasso actually was some considered possibly like a great master. Like he had actually was a really good artist. And then after he basically master, mastered it, he then came into his weird style because he was like, I guess, I don't really know, but it was like, I already did that other stuff. Now I'm doing this other weird thing instead. Yeah. Well, so he could paint very conventionally and well, but yeah, I think we're taking too narrow a definition of art um, by saying that. Like, I think that supposes like the best artist is like the best technically proficient painter or whatever. And I don't think that that's true. I think there is some skill required to be a good artist, but I think what makes art good is not the technical skill of the artist per se or the person, but the technical skill plus what is being communicated through the medium. Well, spoken like a true archetypical artist. <laughs> you know, I'm just over here being a hero. So. <laughs> I'm here to defeat the bad artists. So. <laughs> I'm just waiting until the artists take over the government, I guess. I don't know what I'm waiting for. Guess we'll find out. Yeah, I also think, too, probably, like, there's a... The stuff we see from young people, like, whatever... I think we hear about them is often portrayed very negatively and, you know, you sort of cherry pick the worst aspects of it, but like not all of them are on TikTok, literally, you know, and like their whole lives are not just TikTok. Um, although yeah, a lot of them are on TikTok and then too, even TikTok is not like a monolith. Like there's lots of content on TikTok. That's not just people dancing. I assume, um, Oh no, there's plenty of different <laughs> algorithms to 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 eat up. Yeah. And my preferred algorithm is like how to do stuff or interesting stuff. I'm still super and it's funny because it's like of course I would be according to the theory, but I'm like super skeptical, you mm. know, because I want I'm on this linear timeline, which I maybe linear time is right. Because I don't have a problem conceiving of linear time that cycles through 12-hour days or that also incorporates revolutions of whatever plan is or whatever. I don't – you know, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I love seasons. I think they're fascinating to watch. I'm a huge gardener and I also forage and everything has its time and it's just interesting. Yet at the same time, I look at where we're going. It's difficult – to imagine, as the book says it would be for me, to imagine <laughs> that 
the artist generation currently who from the hero's perspective is like, what is wrong with those people? And then you think they're going to give birth, which they are. I have relatives who are having children who are probably considered Gen Z, early, super early Gen Zs. Hmm. And I don't really know the vibe of the Gen Z yet fully. I think it's varied. Well, that's what I would say, too. They haven't come into maturity, into adulthood even yet. They're still children. That's true. It's very curious because on one side... But then it's like, at the same time, the ones I'm worried about having children and like what their children will be like, like what happens when two whack jobs purchase a child and say that they've had a baby and then raise them in that context, in that experience, what does that do to the mind? And maybe what it does is, as often does happen with parents and their children, you create the opposite of what you're trying to create. Then they have a child who's like, my parents are psychos because that's what every parent, every child thinks. I'm never going to be like them. I'm going to church, you know, or who knows what, yeah. what happens under that context. And then there's the other ones, which would be interesting. I mean, it just, who Well, see, knows, that's dude? the thing. It's so crazy. I mean, I think that is a really interesting and deep point because how does that happen? Because their parents surely are not that. So if you are raised by, you know, two gay, you know, highly liberal people or whatever you want to say, and then the child ends up... Yeah, that person. Everyone knows that yeah, person. Like, it's sure. the person is too much. It's not like the gay person you know. It's like the one that's like fervent, progressive, sure, sure, sure. everything. Get 10 vaxes, do the this, do the that, <laughs> say what Fauci says, love Bill Gates, love everything that's like coming upon you, whatever that type of person is where you're like, hey, sure, but I don't know if you want to accept the corporate messaging here, but you're falling in line. Yeah, that unnecessary person. to my point. But yes, so that's one example. But any parent, you know, a group, two parents, whatever, whoever you raised by, you can end up becoming the opposite of that. Um, you can embody things that were never present in your upbringing. And that is a curious thing because the question to me, and I think people, you know, people who think about this are like, where does it come from then? If it's not coming from your actual parenting, like where did these ideas that you start to embody come from? Like, how do you know of them? And I think that's Young's point. It's like the archetypes, like, we have to point to something in the unconscious that you are manifesting that is is like that's why it's an arca like pre-existent it doesn't it wasn't taught to you during your life like your parents didn't it's teach it to you it's also broad it's also broad brushstrokes you know so like who's to say you can't have a prophet born in to the artist generation right, right. you know like someone who just stumbles across some idea and is like so it's difficult to pick out individuals and say, well, what happens here in this case? What happens over here in this case? When it's like, especially when everything is algorithmically fed to us, so we don't we get a tunnel vision of reality, whereas we don't know really what is going on. Which is always like it's the reason people are stunned when they look at an electoral map of the United States and they're like, oh, the entire country is red. They're all conservative, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but like five cities or whatever. 
30 cities, major cities across the country will be liberal. Sure. Yeah. And geographically, you're like, that's nothing. But and it's a surprising notion because you're all you see is what the news says or what the algorithm says. And for the most part, you're getting this accentuated reality that may not actually even represent reality. It's just being magnified. And so it's difficult to even ha make the analysis at all. I don't even know how you would make the analysis in today's era of so much information and screens and exposure and lack of exposure because you don't know what you're missing because it's because it's all fed to you. It's curated. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think to your first point, I think, yeah, it is. That is one conundrum with this series. Like it is kind of painting with broad brushstrokes and there's always variability and variety. And yeah, it's not obviously all this kind of reductionist theory but maybe it's a good approximation of a general theme i think that can still be true despite that there may be yeah. variation on the fringes now to your second point though i think like regardless of what you're being fed in the information like whether it is reality or isn't reality i think is like too narrative because what's literally happening is like technology. Like we live in the technological society where people are spending a lot of time on their phones. And I think people have a visceral experience of that, no matter who they are, regardless of what is on the phones. So there is some layer of it. It's like, yeah, like what is really going on? But I think on some base level, you are experiencing just the basic facts of like, we live in a highly technological society. People are spending a lot of time on their phones. You they have don't have in person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to keep taking steps back until everything looks the same. And then you can go, this is the society. Right. There's some fundamental so, basic level that's like. You're like, But there's a left <laughs> version and a right version of social media. Which one is it? It's like, no, step back. It's the social media. Right, people. right. You know, it's not these people and those people. They're all actually the same. And there is that layer of analysis, but it's like very fine details. Like you're missing the forest for the trees almost. Then you could take, though, perhaps, maybe you're right, but you could also think about it like take, so how would like the artist generation interact with the economic system and then see if that maps on as to like the trends that we kind of all know about because we kind of follow it and we experience it. Many of us are business owners or workers, so we have some idea of the vibe or the mood in those industries or in those sectors of the world of the social cultural geopolitical at you know reality that we landscape that we live in and you can see how the millennials interact with labor and economy and then look at how this new generation the gen z's are interacting with labor and the economy and i feel like that on on that level or at least in that context you could possibly see somewhat of a general effect that being born under one of these turnings or archetypes actually is having on people because it's a lot more tan like you're literally coming into contact with it whether it's through your favorite store closing down or going to this store and everyone there says these other people just won't work and these people are lazy or you know you just you get a lot of actual interaction with that yeah no i have two thoughts so one back to what i was saying a second ago i think one way to put it about like how can you become the opposite of your parents or whatnot is to the archetype point. It's like something I heard was to see what's missing, like look at a person and see what's missing. It was, I think it was in like a show like the Witcher or something. It was like he was mentoring a child and he sought the advice of a sage oracle or something. And she was like, you need to look at the child and see what, what is missing. We are much more sensitive to like things that are harms 
than things that are good. Yes. I feel like nobody says like you, well, plenty of people probably do, but you're much more likely to hear someone say something that their parents did that they're not going to do rather than saying something that their parents did that they definitely want to do. Like they're more concerned about like, I just don't want to do this to my child, which makes a lot of sense. If you think about how prevalent hitting people was, whether it was your, your spouse, Mm -hmm. your wife, your Mm -hmm. child, just a decade or or not a decade, but like one turning ago action and reaction, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then now you have a world where it's like, might as well be called a satanic pedophile as much as someone who spanks their kid. You know, it's like people, some people like can't not even fathom the concept of whipping or whatever. Look, literally like right, people, yeah. like your parents, very out of vogue today. Your parents would literally tell you, I'm going to whip you. Right. It's like shit. Yeah. No, you know, it's like, isn't that what they did to slaves? Yeah. So there's definitely, like, I'm getting one of those. That. The other thing I was thinking is just like, that is a curious thing. Like you can perceive, What's missing, that is a really deep psychological point to me, is that you are capable of perceiving things that are not present, meaning there's some ideal, that's the implicit ideal, the archetype or whatever, that you perceive society through, that it's like you're actually perceiving whatever your physical perceptions are in reference to some ideal and that you can't shake the ideal and that, I think, is why time is cyclical, because the ideal is actually stable and is the archetype, like, pre-existent, like, it is durable and pre-exists you. And so that, yeah, I wanted to make <sighs> that point. Maybe time is linear and cyclical in the sense, and it maybe it, this is happy 421, everybody. <laughs> the day after 420. Um, maybe, dude... Maybe everything's like, like a watch, in, like something internal to the structure, is keeping it all going. Like these complicated gears that really takes like a watch master to understand, and that the hands go around the clock in a cycle, but the, but the hands point in the direction that we're going which is always linearly away from the mechanics but always tied on the pendulum or the pivot the fulcrum of that the center yeah the fulcrum the ideal it's the fulcrum exactly yeah because it does seem like that is a decent enough metaphor that we we always perceive that time is the hand right pointing out away from to the number away from the ideal you know, this is very metaphorical more metaphorically yes. away from reality what really is going on is all stays right there in the case of the watch right yeah yeah but externally it's telling you something it's telling you externally about time it's telling you about some kind of measurement about some kind of cycle and then then and you're looking at it and then you think Something this time is meant to help me direct my trajectory, which I still fa- feel as linear. So I just feel like the metaphor of the hands, mm. you know, kind of they literally look like arrows, like just pointing out away, and that whatever the time is in the saculum or in the course of history, we always will feel as if because we have a life and a death. And that's something that I wonder if these guys aren't really getting at more is that like deeper because I haven't gotten into Mm. it enough, but like that deeper metaphorical 
life-death cycle because when he proposes to kind of do away with this impending fear of death or what will happen what burden will i be and face in my old age to me are tragic and i to be quite honest i feel as if the preparation for that for me particularly is mostly most likely to be mental because the material i'm not gaining it whether it's because i'm not doing what i need to do to get ahead or i'm not doing what i need to do to be where i should be when my dad was 10 years younger than me he purchased his first house i don't it may be in cash i don't know when he was 10 over 10 years younger than i am now we are nowhere near that i mean we have money but when you look at it you're like that doesn't look like it would last long and i don't know it feels like in the moment a confluence of things my own fault the world's fault the price of things fault so this money maybe once upon a time would have been fantastic to have but now you look at it and go that wouldn't last long inflation because every strip of the groceries sure, yeah. one buggy of groceries or, or whatever people call it is f- three four hundred dollars no joke like literally and you're like that's enough for like a week or two mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unless you want to eat packaged garbage shit that gives you cancer which we don't so it's just like i don't know what's going on but for me like i was saying maybe what they're trying to get at it's like is that deep sense that I have of dread and a conscious awareness of a lack of understanding what the fuck I'm doing here. You know what I mean? Like, why am I here? What the fuck is going on? Why, why life at why humanity? Mm -hmm. And it's not, I'm not nihilistic, but because of that notion, I fully understand becoming nihilistic. I get the inclination to it. I also understand the inclination to the total and utter opposite, which is hyper-religiosity mm-hmm. of some kind of spiritual order. I totally understand. because, And it's the drive is the same. It is, what the, what? Like, I'm going to die. Like, why am I, I was born, that seemed like it wasn't very fun. I'm living, I don't know if how much fun this is, but it's stressful. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to die, and that seems fucking awful. It all just seems terrible. You know, it, or it's all just seems it's fine if there's some meaning behind it, but I can't understand the meaning. And is that a, is that because I'm a byproduct of a hyper individualistic moment or society or time? And is that the thing that this book might reveal? I don't know that that notion that everything I just explained comes from a place in me that is actually there because of a cycle that I'm within. And that there will be another generation born that doesn't have any of that sense. I don't know if it's the next generation or the one after that or the one after that, but somewhere within these four turnings, there's a generation born that doesn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. That actually does more fully accept their futility or fatality of life, and but understands it deeply, psychologically, spiritually, whatever place this is coming from within me, in a way that that's the thing ingrained in you that you actually have to do away with or or that you can't help. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a very much more rooted thing that I couldn't imagine dispersing with because I can't think of it differently. Well, yeah, I think everybody has a transformation of 
some sort. Everybody is called out into an adventure. But I think what exactly that looks like for you is, yeah, contingent on the society that you find yourself in and the situation um, and the time. And so I think, yeah, that's kind of his point is like in a hyper individualistic society, I think that what you described seems to be very common, like because that is the kind of environment everyone was raised in where it's like we sort of sold ourselves down the river. We're literally supposedly in the unraveling right now, right at the precipice of the of the crisis. And it's like, how could you think of life as, as anything different? Right. And I think that because there's no collective notion, yeah. which is what he's saying once was there. And that I, I'm so detached from the collective notion because of my archetype or my turning if, depending on where you're born, if the tail or the beginning of something, you might actually not see all four times. Right, but see, isn't that... So your whole life may seem tumultuous. But yeah, well, I think, yeah, that's a general principle. Um, but in general, yeah, it's like, because it's missing, that's the kind of point I was making a second ago. It's like, because you you don't have it, you're highly aware of it, which is intriguing. Like, you grew up in a time where family values have kind of disintegrated we've become hyper individualistic we don't value the collective or the community or the family as the building block of society and because of that it's like i am highly aware of how important that is and how i needed that and how that's a fundamental building block of community and society and i think that that propels you that's the adventure that you're almost called into is like finding that building that you know preserving maybe that. that's the hero exactly, that they're talking yeah. about so the millennials hero they don't mean hero as in you get to like be the good guy they mean hero as in you're the generation that has to go on the full-fledged hero's journey because you're born right at the collapse you open your eyes into the world you have basically no consciousness until you're about a decade into life barely at that point and then all you see around you is a society just falling apart always at conflict, always at war, deteriorating, spiraling, unraveling on the precipice of crisis. And you're like, my life just is the hero's journey. You know what I mean? It just is that. I have to contend with that emptiness and that futility and figure out how to bring humanity into another cycle. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I don't... I don't know. I haven't completed the journey. <laughs> We're just embarking on the journey. Yeah, exactly. In Game of Thrones, to bring that in, you could take like any family, a well-known family would be the Lannisters. And Tywin Lannister is like the patriarch of the family at this point. And all he cares about, because he's old and he's going to die, but he's like the badassest, supposedly guy you know he's kind of scum but whatever in his family and in the world very prominent and he has these children and all he cares about is what he claims at least is family i'm going to die soon and you people have to keep the family going so you have to have a male offspring their children have to have male offspring to take on the family name so you and hope whatnot. to see yeah. your mm -hmm. grandson mm -hmm. so that yes yeah, so that you know there's somebody there once you're gone you know your son's there but if your son has a son then you're like that's at least a generation there you know and probably they're all going to get killed so there's the patriarch then you have the children of tywin jamie and cersei and their children 
and they're a little different, you know, there's always this like struggle between in every family, like the top of the family and the next and the children. There's always this kind of tension, like you are my son or you're not my son. You're doing this. We would never do that. That's not our family. You know, we need this. And it's like just so it's almost as if the children are kind of doing things a little differently. Like Jon Snow, he becomes Lord Commander at the wall and then they kill him. And it's like. They kill him because they think he's a traitor and they admit we killed him because he's a traitor. But the way that he was a traitor is that he was doing something that nobody for thousands of years have ever, has ever done before. They let the wildlings through the wall and tried to have peace with the wildlings. But for thousands of years, we've been at war with them. So they're like, yeah, we killed him. Of course we did. He let the wildlings through. So it's a total disconnect in a battle between this like established lifetime the seculum of those who are about to die but are still in power and the emergence of the next whole cycle of power and the battle of like conserving and being too liberal. You know what Mm -hmm, I mean? It's just, mm -hmm, it's interesting. mm -hmm. Yeah. Because one thing lacking from every patriarch, it appears that's currently living that one that's about to go out is they're far more brutal. Not always, but a lot of times they're much more like, that's a big difference. Let's not Mm -hmm. make those mistakes again. Yeah, like well, our family almost was destroyed by his selfishness or this his greed or his yeah. brutality or whatever, his stupidity, all these different things. No, yeah, I think no, no group yeah. of people or class is ever perfect. And partly that's because things change, you know, and you have to be adaptable. And so there's no uh, stable perfection, maybe. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, to the point I was making earlier, it's like you become highly conscious of the things that, we're missing and i think on the converse you also become unconscious or unaware of the things that were present and so those are the things you're likely to throw out i think by accident and so if you grew up in a time of family values and stability and social order and responsibility i think you know that can create the rebel and you can because those things were all taken care of by the elders in society and provided for you and you didn't have to do anything to create them, they can become sort of things that you aren't aware of how difficult they are to create or how important they are or what the value of those things is. And so I think it's easy to neglect those things um, because you you don't necessarily realize what uh, the good things you have maybe is a way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, the four cycles, the fourth turning. 